All right, folks, good morning. Today I am sitting down with Mr. Dave Murray and Mr. George Wong. How are you guys doing? Doing fantastic. BC, like you never believe. I did never thought that uh, in the middle of March, I would be that busy. Maybe people are ready for Turkey. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good problem to have. George, um, for the folks that don't know, this is something that was a, uh, it was a topic of conversation at the Great American Outdoor Show in our booth. What is your middle name? Uh, which is O apostrophe S O M E in Chinese words means proud heart. In Mandarin is Ao Xing, which to translate to awesome. What can I say? <laughs> I thought I was. I thought he was going to say Paul. Paul. <laughs> yeah. George Paul Huang. No, I think that's uh that's pretty good because today we're going to have an awesome conversation. So Dave, how you doing this morning? Hanging in there. Doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing all right. I think I'm I'm a little bit too young to be throwing out those dad jokes, but hopefully, uh, hopefully everyone got that this morning. But today uh, we were just kind of talking off air a little bit about some of the trends that we're seeing in the industry. And Dave, you are you've been an aero builder and a retailer for how long? Oh shoot! Um, just with just as a fire knock pro shop, probably. I don't know, George. How long has it been? Seven, eight years. Eleven years, probably. 11 wow okay and a couple of years before that <laughs> so you were yeah you, you were... started in 2000 you know, in 2014 remember yeah so i was a couple of years before that as an archery shop just in general and it was you know it's 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 been an interesting small little journey that you know where the shop started at and then what it kind of evolved into you know, I first started out doing arrow builds like everybody else. You know, I used a Bitsenberger. I used a, a Ram spine tester, uh, blazer vein, right? And everything was concentrated on what shaft I was going to build with. I did everything that everybody else was doing. And I remember at that time before my partner, unfortunately, got sick, he kept on saying, he goes, check out this, this Fire Knock website. And I, and I kept looking at it, and I'm like, man, those jigs are expensive. But we got Bitsenberger. Bitsenberger's all over the place, right? I said, and this is, you know, it's a, it's a vein. I mean, a vein is a vein, right? So I think I had a couple small conversations with George before the Harrisburg show. I go up to the Harrisburg show. And my first time seeing this stuff on him, my partner was just nudging me and nudging me to look at this stuff. And I was as skeptical as anybody could be on it. And the first thing I looked at was this, the, the PAP system to locate the, the spine. Now, when you're doing it on a ram spine test, you got to watch that little gauge. You know, unless you're on a concrete floor, anytime my partner would take a step in a room, the gauge would bounce. Needless to say, it would take a long time compared to the PAP system to find, spine locate the arrow. So I said, what's this thing? He tells me about it, puts an arrow on there, locate it. He goes, that's the spine. I'm like, he did it. And it took him longer to grab the arrow and put it on the PAP system than it was to actually spine locate the arrow. So I'm like, wow, that was fast. And he goes, he's showing me, feel this and feel that, go around, look at the other spine. He's change it. I'm like, wow. So I had to be a dealer just, just for that. It didn't matter if nothing else worked. I mean, not that I'm like, I'd say minutes off my life, you know, using that. So we spent, needless to say next three or four hours that day at the fire knock booth, went over to Jake's. I got firsthand talking to not only him, um, but some was fire knock staff. We got to feel how strong the glue was on the vein, all that. Then we went to the, we got the crash course that Sunday. At the end of the show, we spent five or six hours with George um, going over. And I'll tell you what, the first hour was just in knocks. And, you know, then right there, I learned that a knock is not just a knock, not like any knock. And, you almost needed a drill cup 
the catcher the catcher spit by the time he got because you were just totally dumbfounded all, all the side all the different interior sides especially like one six six um and we went through that and then you know i we we spent some money with Georgia, got some of the jigs in. And I said, well, I, you know, I want to build this stuff first before I really go advertise it. So I built my, my own bow. I took it, I broke it down. I, you know, I, I put the titanium kit on it. And I put this error arrest looking thing on it that didn't have no strings. And right away at my pin gap from 20 to 50 yards jumped up a bracket. So I had no more 20 yard pin. It was just a zero to 30. My 30 was doing what 40 and, and so on. I'm like, wow, this is, this is impressive. And then I was telling my buddy all about how we got to build with this guy's stuff. And he was like a big fat, I told you so that he was chiming in my ear for probably six to eight months. So, you know, after that, you know, was when I kind of, I just do full force right into fire knock and try to learn and still learn and, you know, everything that I can about an arrow build. And, you know, I, 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 I believe that every year my arrow builds get a little bit better, whether I refine a technique or something that I do or a process, or, or sometimes I've, in some situations I've added a process to make some stuff better, but uh, it's been interesting. Well, I think the most important part is that, as they say, the more you know, the more you don't know. <laughs> the more you build, the more you find out that you should have done better. That's the reason I always said, you know, I may be the guy who's building the tools, but the guy who use it on a daily basis and do it for a living, you should really talk to those guys. Because just like on vertical bird build, I'm seriously, I mean, for every time if I have, I mean, I try to build a few Aero Concept 2.0 build on vertical bows. I just don't have the patience. And, and most people say, Dodge, you, you claim to be a fisherman. How can you know patience? I say, <laughs> do you know that best fishermen all have no patience? Because they want to British the bite now. <laughs> Not later. <laughs> or or just go to the time when they're biting. <laughs> you consider yourself a bass fisherman? I'm not a bass fisherman. I'm more more like a bream and a, and a walleye guy. Hmm. Just like if I, if I had to pick between bass and walleye and white bass, I think I'll pick white bass any day. Hmm. Especially the big white bass or hybrids. Hybrids are great too. I mean, I don't even mind yellow bass. I mean, yellow bass are low limit. I remember the days of a full cooler yellow bass. Oh, they're good eating too. They're a tiny bit sweeter. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. When so, you talk about anything that we can kill and eat, I, I'm all in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of interested on the topic of like right now, um, just going off that like why why are people choosing what they're choosing and why like why are people shooting the arrows that they're shooting or why like so dave when when someone comes to you and mm -hmm. they want an arrow built what is it what is the reason they're coming to you to build the arrows is it because of your location is it because of your website or is it because of the fact that you're a fire knock dealer um they see something different on the internet. And I keep in mind, I build, I built for guys all over the country. So it's, it's really not, you know, about location. Um, they see something different. If I introduce it on the internet, I mean, I do have some people to come in um, locally, but mostly it's because of what they see me doing. They see, they see a vein there. You know, I get questions like, did you did you fold that vein over? And we're talking about air vein three. Yeah. And I say, yeah, we put it on the iron, and you know, just joking. <laughs> um, you know, so I mean, they 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 see something different, and you know, not many not many people in general, not many shops will have something geared towards education i would say in in this example on her on her website most of the time you'll see a shop advertising we sell gold tip arrows they're the best arrow they'll have a picture of the latest pro shooter advertising them um and it kind of steers away from the fact that you know i'm a pro shop i do custom arrow builds i'm knowledgeable enough 
to teach teach another archery shop um, what's going on. And they, they see that interest. And a lot of the customers, I would say, are over, I would say are starting about over 35, that 35 to 55 age bracket. Okay. And I think some of them guys are looking for that difference that they're tired of buying junk. Okay. That they bought the same thing over and over. They see this. They, they see it's a little bit higher cost in some aspects. And then when they learn about it, they realize the cost of what I'm selling it for, for what they're actually getting is pretty, is a pretty good deal. Cause if you look up, I don't know how current it is, but if you look on say uh, Lancaster's website and look up gold tip velocity shafts, pro shafts, mm-hmm. you're probably going to, they're probably, if I remember right, they're going to be in that $170 a dozen range for just shafts. Yep. You're not getting anything spine located. You're not getting anything built. Um, you got to get all the other stuff and you got to build it yourself. And at the end of the day, are you getting a good shaft? Yeah. Is it, is it really going to be what you think it's going to be unless you do a ton of stuff to it? No, it doesn't matter what vein system, as far as the general population of veins, whether you're putting a vein tech on there, a, a blazer, they're all going to sport around 13 to 16 rotations per 20 yards. So it's not like, you know, you're going from a Prius to a Ferrari by switching to Vaintech. It's just not happening. You know, as, as there's a comparison to when you're buying an AeroVane, well, now you're ramping up something that could, you know, hit 60 to 100 revs in the first 20 yards, um, you know, versus the standard. So there's a significant difference in stuff that we're doing. And I think that's why people start edging over. And a lot of the times... When either they email me, I'll end up with a phone and end up with a phone conversation, or they'll come by the shop. I'll have probably at least a forty-five minute to a two-hour conversation with them to consult them about their not only their arrow build but their bow build in in general. And I think the person who is looking for value in their equipment. Um, and is serious. I think that's that. That's ba- that's basically my customer. Sure, George. What about you? What What are you seeing? Um, in terms of like, someone is seeking out something and they find Firenock, and what is it that makes someone choose Firenock? I think the most important. I think that the word, just like Dave now, the pretty much the, the problem they had is education and knowledge. To be frank with you. What's the difference of buying, say, a Walmart vertical bow build with the arrow on the shelf for four, about maybe $300 complete, than going to a pro shop and spend, yes, you may sound, you may sound ridiculous, a $3,000, a bow and half a dozen arrow with everything on it. What's the difference between the 10 times? In today's world, the difference is that you just pay 10 times as much. The, the, the mm-hmm. actual performance of the bow is not there. And I think a lot of people recognize it because they say, well, I just buy an X brand of bow for $1,700. Sight, rest, half a dozen arrows, a bow case. Wham! I mean, if you are really in the market lately, if you did not just drop about $3,000, you haven't bought the latest, greatest. Any brand. I'm talking any brand because today just to start with a decent vertical bow is what, 1500 bucks, if not 1800. And then the mm-hmm. site is now what, 200, 300. Air rest itself is like 200. And remember, we haven't talked quiver and all the rest of the stuff. And then they set it up for you and say, we will set it up for free and go on. So what's the biggest difference that most people come to me is that I will, first of all, have a long discussion with them. Most people will come to my shop and usually with uh, most guys, I would say, come to my shop would call me on a good day and then we'll blow on maybe 30 minutes of discussion of what he wants. I think the most important part for most people is like when they come to us, they come to at least would find out like to me, they would already, first of all, question a lot of things they have because see, every year as they spend more money buying a new bow, 
what are they getting out of buying a new bowl? Because if you think about it, from 2007 and onwards, the, the feet per second of a bowl, come 2005 and 2023, okay? If you look at the published feet per second, what's the real difference? It's up and down, up and down between that 330, 340, 320, up and down just at that range. So it's not speed. And they every remember every one of the boat company they published a bid based on thirty inch straw seventy pound. Yeah. So the only they can't sell anything beyond that because that's what they will give them. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between say a Walmart three hundred and fifty grain arrow off the shelf at four dollars and twenty five cents compared to say an arrow that Dave or or Jeremy built and it cost them close to. 15 to $20 a piece. And in the case of when, when they come to me at Fire Knock with my arrow build, without a point and a knock is 25 bucks each. For the crossbow. So what are they getting? Yeah, just a plain boat. So what are they getting difference? Well, if you don't know the difference, then you shouldn't be paying for it. Because you, you notice in the case of Dave, I mean, he is the one of the more technical oriented builder. You know, Dave, Aaron don't even got labels. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm kind of curious. So I've just been like, in my personal thoughts, like, why are people choosing to shoot the arrows that they're, they're choosing? So because, they are, like because let me give, which I will finish what I'm saying, is that people are buying and paying more money. And they were expecting to get more for their money. If the whole idea you're going to shoot 35 yards at 280 feet per second, what you buy in 2005 and what you buy today, and if you do exactly the same process, besides paying five times as much, you're getting exactly the same result. Well, let me ask you one question. Then why are you paying five times as much and get exactly the same result? Eventually, especially just as Dave said, most of my our customer. His customer is 35 to 55. Mine is like 35 all the way up to 70. Is that we are dealing with a whole bunch of archers, seasoned archers who are recognizing, okay, we need money. Money is not getting easier. Stuff is getting more expensive. I'm getting the same thing with twice or three times the price and I'm not getting any difference in result. I mean, yeah, in the crossbow world, people are seeing, oh my gosh, the, the bows are shooting so much faster. Nothing's actually work. And that's the reason I told, as I said, the most important change for me in Finat as a company is 2008. Because that's the time, the 2007 to 2008, that's the time I was introduced to a 425 feet per second crossbows. Because at that speed, anything that's wrong showed up. Because at 280 feet per second, you can shoot a bow with all kinds of weird FOCs and so on. It really not going to make that big a deal. It's not That's doing reason anything. You notice, hmm? It's not doing anything, really. Right. I mean, just like, you know, it's like, like a, a very good question. Like when I first, when, uh, uh, when Jake, your, uh, one, of, one of your associates come to me, I remember he come to me with an arrow, what, four years ago with close to 600 grains? And I look at the shaft, look at the insert. I say, Jake, you're not going to get anything out of this. And he was looking at me like I was funny. I say, you're not going to get performance out of it. He said, you will go through anything. I say, so does everything else. <laughs> I say, what do you get, want to get out of it? I think as, gen, as archers in the older age, they recognize what equipment they have. Because remember, just like me, my arms are getting weaker. I used to shoot exclusive 80 pound oniders. They are freaking like 22 going off. Now I'm moving further and further and further away. Then I want to say lightweight means speed. But then I learned about the FOC stuff, just like the, 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 the how do you call it? The enlightenment moment of slapping a deer with the arrow slapping sideways. So I'm like mm. FOC go to extreme doesn't work. It is not the FOC going to the other stream doesn't work. I just learned, haven't learned how to use it and build it. Sure. I mean, just like when, just like if you talk to anybody with car guys, you ask them questions. If I can give you 
extreme amount of power on the lightest chassis, would you like it? That's not the right question. Can I use the power that I get extreme with a light chassis? Hmm. That's the real question. Because you can have extreme amount of weight as long as you got unlimited power to propel the extreme amount of weight. Sure. You're always great. But remember, yeah. you're limited by the 70 pounds. In most people say, well, what kind of shoot 80 pounds? I say, you sure can. I mean, I, I got some customer in North Carolina. I can't talk them out of a freaking 80 pound ball. And they are in their 40s. It's like me all over again. I just looking at them and say, do we really want to go through that road? And you know, that's where they told me, if I had put another 150 grains in the front of the arrow, it'll go through the shoulder blade. I say, do you really want to go on a day when the wind was breezing and then it was down to say five degree, you got that big ginormous bug in front of you out in South Peoria, and then you put a bow back, you heard the shoulder hurt clack, and then you don't feel like holding the bow right because you got an 80 pound bow and the arrow go in the deer turn at 45 degree, the arrow barely going three inches. You know, they don't believe me, except it did happen. It not just happened once, it happened multiple times. The new design super large broadhead with the super FOC arrow, if you don't point blank it, it's not going to work right. I mean, that whole ginormous hole is great for anybody. Everybody knows that. I mean, just like, you know, I, I think the best way to describe is all our, our, our what do you call it, ex-military guys will always understand this. Why the hell did we spend something like 400, what, 250,000 on, on intelligent missile compared to just bomb the hell of something else and be done with it? Because more, more means more, right? Right. The fact you said more does not mean more. Sure. Because it's just simply like, if we can throw a great hand grenade and a deer and be legal, I think we'll all be using it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think to me, it seems like um, it's, it, maybe it's just because I am more involved in arrows now because um, Exodus is in the game, but it seems to me that um, an arrow purchase almost seems trendy. Like there's, there's just trends that people will buy onto this trend and they will follow that trend because so-and-so said that this works or because so-and-so is shooting them. How much do you guys see as dealers, someone coming in to your shop and wanting to shoot X arrow shaft because that's what the trend is? Well, actually the trend has, has been back and forward for so many years. I remember the, the, when I first started back in the 1990s, the trend is lightest arrow, shortest arrow. That's the reason back then I was shooting the Beeman's Hunters, 24 inch with a six inch overdraw <laughs> on an 80 pound bow. Yes, you should see my arrows. My arrow is 405 grains, 24 inch on a 30, on a 29 inch draw with a seven inch overdraw. <laughs> but then the trend changed because everybody tried to shoot a shorter arrow, lightest arrow. Then they finally it doesn't work because it's too critical. Then you go into the, the thinner and thinner because I think Eastern started with the uh, with the access arrow as a 204 size. Because he, he, remember the first Beeman was actually about the 204 size, actually it's even thinner. The original Beeman, if you look at the ID is closer to 135,000 on the OD of just over 250,000. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's the original extruded Beeman. Then uh, the gold tip 246, which is, I think, is the right size. But then Gold Team is making 246. Eastern is making the 244, which is their, uh, the light speed and so on. But they go with the smallest insert they can get, which is the H size, which is the 235. I mean, that's the reason in today's world, we actually have three major vertical sizes, which is your 246, 202, and 166. And Eastern, between the 246 and 204 inserted, size they call the h size hmm. the reason it's called h in the in the final is called the e because that's the time when the arrow called epic or excel which is 235. i mean if you look at the construction of arrow that size is made because that is the smaller size arrow without going into any form of a half out it's the smallest size you can be can you make it tiny bit smaller yes the 230 is the limit 
Well, guess what? That's what Black Eagle, uh, it's called the, not the, uh, Spartan is. I mean, it's a great arrow because it's the smallest size diameter you can build without going into any half out, outserts, or anything else. But, but the downside is that that's the only arrow that's 230,000. And you can't use any components on it except 230,000. Well, is that trend? People actually like that because see, just like when Eastern come up with the 204, which is the HIT insert, that gives people a lot of uh, thinking process. It's thinner. And as again, I, I mean, if anybody who remember, who have actually studied physics and learned bilinear principles and tube dynamics, smaller is not better. It has to be balanced. Balance is in flex, balance as recovery, balance as in energy transfer, balance as in harmonics, oscillation process, vibration, they all have to come into play. Does any of them mean anything to anybody who actually have not go through any, I would say, especially in harmonics graduate course physics? No. And does it mean anything to anybody who don't understand anything of this? In most cases, no. The worst part, the, the best, really best and worst is that if you shoot under 270, 80 feet per second, anything I talk about don't mean anything because it doesn't apply. In some case, the, I mean, it doesn't apply to you practically, but you actually applied every time, except the phenomenon in the percentage of impact on the performance is insignificant. But the moment you move up to 400 feet per second and more, or in the case of vertical ball, the moment you finally learn to shoot over 300 feet per second, those matters a lot. I mean, they're very simple. If you are going to shoot a vertical ball, say 65 to 70 pounds, like a lot of our customers, just like Jake, come to me with the say 570 green arrows, put it on the formula and look at what kind of feet per second you get out of it. You're lucky to shoot 260. 240 is more like what you have. Yeah. At 240 feet per second, the arrow is shooting out like a noodle. At the same time, I saw that he, that moment he got a 166 arrow shaft with the what 150 grain insert plus the 100 grain fuel point. I mean, anybody who know about aerodynamics, dynamics, when you have 250 grains in the front, what does a 300 spine shaft going to do? Now think one step further based on that build. What is the shaft going to behave when you first launch it? I will guarantee you put a light in that on it and see the arrow. The arrow is going to flap left to right over, over 12 inches, six inch to each side when it was like nine inch in front of the ball. So aerodynamics is going to be all screwed up. But at 260 feet per second, aerodynamics don't mean anything. And then with a the thin arrow, they say, oh, the arrow is so thin, you'll cut through air. I say, yeah, but you got things on it. So the arrow is noisy when you launch it. Right on the get-go, you can't get away with it. Because even at 260 feet per second, your noise is going to be phenomenal. I mean, that's the first thing I, talk, I was talking with Dave when he first learned this. I say, you need to control that noise. Because see, if anybody who don't care about anything we talk about, the first thing they need to recognize is that if your arrow is noisy when you launch it, the whole reason of if you're going for hunting only, the whole reason need to be for you for your arrow build is to control the noise to start with. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you have not taken anything out of our previous podcast, the number the only thing you take out of it is that go and shoot your arrow today. And, and find somebody pass, go behind the garage and let the arrow pass you and listen to it. And then, I mean, since most of the arrow that most people shoot, that's over 500 grain. It's so slow. Even you are in your 40s, you can see how the arrow behaves. If not, put a light down on it and see the arrow flexes and how it hit the target. After it hit the target, how long the light down takes to stable. In other words, after he target, you swing left, right, up, down, and so on. How long does it take to stable? Which means is that if the energy hit the target, like people talk about penetration all the time, right? So if the arrow hit the target and the energy dispersed left, right, up, down, all over the place, how much energy is going forward? 
Or people say, I've got mm-hmm. enough momentum. I've got enough weight, you'll go through everything. That's it, really. I th- if that's the case. Well, I think to that point, so what kind of brought this conversation up was um, those arrows that Jake bought that were 570 grains at the time. I think he was probably at like a 16% FOC. And then mm-hmm. I bought those same arrows and I um, got the build made. And I think they were 590 grains and mm-hmm. I had like 17% FOC and I shot them and I didn't, I didn't like what happened. They broke um, in the front of the shaft and probably because what you're talking about with when it hit the target, it just went left, right, up, down and snapped the arrow rather than going through the animal. And then, so just based off of curiosity and market research, I went to build those same arrows again. And they're now recommending a uh, 100 grain lighter arrow with 11 and a half percent FOC. So to the, like the trend that I was um, talking about previously was like super, super high FOC, super heavyweight arrow, 166 shaft. And it almost seems like that is tapering off a little bit. And even the people that were promoting that are kind of like Dorji said, balance. They're kind of balancing out. Well, balancing is, see, most people, they, they looking at it because they didn't get the result and customer complaining. Because remember, majority of the archery customer who pay money for different things is that they didn't get what they want and they thought they can just go and buy the, re- the result. And that's not working at all. That's when they keep looking. I mean, if people get excited, what they, just like if you want a reliable car back in the say 10 years ago, you get a, you get a Honda, if you just want a four-door sedan, you get a Honda Accord, you want a freaking SUV, you got a RAV4, or you get a, a, a for if you if you want to give your wife to bring the kids back and forward. Those are the vehicle look for, for general public, right? But now people are not looking at the same thing because there's other more important issue because they did not get what they want based on those because back then when they think of the super thin aero heavy FOC, they thought that was the Honda Accord. They can't go wrong with it. And for the last, I mean, you see the sad part is that there's another thing a lot of other archers never recognize is that you thought you do good when you shoot at a target that's not moving. You look at a target, you say, you say, oh, look at this, this penetrates. You're talking a point blank target with a specific density that you shot through. With this, I mean, have you ever tried to shoot broader targets with say, Real broadheads, those are expandable broadheads. And then try to shoot the target, say, at 45 degree. I think you should. I never have, no. For those who think heavy FOC with expandables, they need to try once, just for the heck of it, put the target 45 degree from them and shoot at it. I'm going to try. About 30 yards. You'll be amazed. Every time you shoot at it, the result is not the same. Did you hear me right? It is not the same. Yeah, because one, if it's, a two, if, if it's a two-blade expandable, the, the first obstacle is you got a rotating arrow, which you don't know exactly on what rotation that blade is going to make contact with the target. So you got something different, possibly, every time. Mm-hmm. So that's one aspect of it. That's yeah. exactly the aspect that you're going to see. In other words, when you fire the arrow <laughs> on job, the Dave. only chance that you want that to right. kill that deer, you do not know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's a good test. I'm going to try it. Dave, what have, what have you seen on that? Um, like the customers that are coming to you, uh, what were they shooting before? What was the, the um, arrow build that they were shooting before that they wanted more performance out of? Crossbow or vertical bow? Vertical bow. Vertical bow, you typically would get like a guy who shot, you know, uh, just your off-the-shelf gold tip or, you know, a black eagle arrow. And, you know, I hate to put differences on them because outside of weight, you know, it's really not that much, really not that much different. You might have one that's a, 
You know, I, I used to build on an outlaw arrow a lot. And that was Black Eagle's bottom line arrow. But when you put a concept system into it, that made it like comparable to a Carbon Tech Cheetah without, you know, with just with more weight to it. I had, you know, I built, I built those, both of those shafts for different, for just to say the same shooter. And I said, well, what was your experience with the Carbon Tech Cheetah build versus the, you know, Atwell? Well, one's a little bit heavier, would drop a few more inches, but as far as accuracy, they couldn't tell the difference. But, you know, and the same thing with like, the same comparison with like the gold tip stuff. So the dominating factor was the, um, the component system, you know, in the build. I mean, granted, different qualities of shafts will have their parks for sure. But when you add a concept system into it with air veins and you spine locate it, that's like, that's, it's huge. The Holy grail. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's, that's the, you know, that's the icing on the cupcake right there. Yeah. It, it makes a, it makes a gigantic difference. And I think one of the, um, just speaking from experience myself, one of the common um, problems I had with previous arrows was like the inconsistency of flight, like one arrow, mm -hmm. just this air, like five of the dozen arrows I bought would shoot right. And those other seven would all shoot different. So the spine location, um, with an arrow like with any arrow that you build any arrow that we build any arrow the dorge build um is going to be spine located that's something that you're seeing um other companies doing now that weren't previously mm -hmm. it, the, the, the spine location when they do it on a ram spine tester and i and i used to do it on the ram spine tester um when i first got dorge's uh path system back to the shop First thing I did was compare what I spine located to off of the RAM system on his. And out of a dozen arrows, I had about four that came up about the, uh, close to about what the same was as I marked them on here, added a whole dozen. And when I did them on his, man, my groups were, I thought they were tight before you know, shooting something like four or five inch at like 30 yards. And that was a big deal for me, right? Two, I can't shoot at 30 yards. I put, I, one of my first pictures I posted was uh, Black Eagle Challengers. They were uh, a 315 arrow. And I built them with the concept systems, spine located them. And I got three arrows that are all just like stacked, like, Put another one, put another shot in there. All of them are breaking. And, you know, the difference with the spine location, doing it that way versus doing it, with, you know, doing it with a, a ram spine tester, you know, was made way more significant. A, a ram, my, they're look, you're looking for a high and a low, so there's going to be maybe some consistency there, but in my opinion, that was a better system for aluminum arrows that would only have technically, you know, one spine in there to, to begin with. Uh, to find, because what you're looking for when using Dorja's system is you might run across a shaft that has two or three different spine locations. And one of them is going to be your most dominant bending point and that's the one you that's the one you key on some of them are close where you got to make a judgment call on it but you get to have that opportunity doing it that way and introducing a load and feeling for it versus when you're looking on a gauge like i have no way of knowing if, I, if i'm on the secondary or the the first dynamic bend or third if there's you know when george was telling me all these bends i never knew there was you know, first, second, third, and some of these errors, I think, have like six and seven. Um, you know, what, what, what do you do? So you got to do process of, of elimination as far as you can get down to the first dynamic bend. Sure. That's what the spine location process, when you, you know, whether you're building, doors build, I'm building, whoever's building a shaft, that's such a critical point in building the arrow. That's, that's why when I say to my customers, they're like, well, what's, they say, well, what's the straightness of the arrows? Like, we don't, I don't build the straightness. I build the first dynamic bend. I can care less 
if the arrow is 8,000 straightness or 3,000 straightness, whatever it is, I'll locate the first dynamic bend of it um, and base it, you know, and, and base it off of that. I personally shot George's first, you know, uh, renditions of his arrow weave that were like eight to 13,000 straightness. And we, sh I shot under, you know, under a three inch group at over 90 yards. Straightness had not a darn thing to do with it. If I told somebody before that, like ahead of time, let that out, how would, how would you think these shoot? Oh man, you probably couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with that. Well, what if I, what if they're, what if they're three to four inch group possible at a hundred yards a day, a good arrow then? Right. You know, you know yeah. what I mean? So that's, that's a critical point, I think, is the first dynamic bend. But the rest of the arrow, as far as the build, even down to the glue, I'm not sure we ever went over this, but the glue on the fletching, you know, using, using the Aravine glue with that little needle tip is way better than getting it in them like toothpaste tubes that you see for like, and then cut and having like a big glob of glue you know, on, on there that you got to contend with because that's, you know, there can be major differences in the, the amount of glue that you put on from one vein to the other. So if you got to say 60% more glue on your cock vein than one of your hen veins, and then you introduce rotation to that, well, that's just a recipe for disaster. Let me ask well, you actually in, sorry, I want to finish that on Dave's. I want to hammer that into home. Because a lot of people, if you're shooting 270 feet per second or lower 260, you can be five grains off, my point, five grains off all the way through. You won't see a difference. I mean, you, you think that you don't want to take my word for it. How about this? Go ahead and find yourself a vein. Cut the half the vein off on the backside. That's about as bad as, bad as it gets, right? Shoot it. You'll find the same. Seriously, at 260, 270 feet a second, you can cut the vein, ch chop it, clean cut it. Don't, don't, don't just cut it, open it from the front, cut it from the back. It will fly the same. You won't know the difference. But then at the same time, I want to talk about, because remember, we've got high-speed cameras. I want to explain the phenomenon of the difference in thousands strictness per, for the arrow. Assuming... First of all, we're assuming 1,000 and 8,000 straightness arrow. They're all spine located. They are flexing at 12 o'clock. If, if your arrow is 8,000 straightness, they are off-center. The moment they are launched off-center and they flex in the air, how much are you off from center? Say the arrow is 8,000 straightness. Theoretically, you're 8,000 of an inch off-center. As if fly in the air, you'll continuously be eight thousandths of an inch off center. So at, say, at 50 yards, when you impact a target, if you are eight thousandths of an inch off your target, do you see the difference? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> no, that but at the same time, if you shoot an arrow that is not spine located correctly, that means flex differently. Instead of flexing at 12 o'clock, you're now going to flex, say, at seven o'clock it's going to now when it flexes that moment when you launch it the contact point of that arrow with your arrow rest is not now going to be the same as the arrow that's flexing at 12 o'clock think about it the moment you flex at seven o'clock instead of 12 o'clock the arrow is going to push down on the seven o'clock position of your arrow rest what is the reaction of that it's the opposite of one o'clock. That means now the arrow is going to be pushed and action and reaction on the seven o'clock point instead of the common bottom line, which is 12 and six o'clock position. If that's the case, your arrow is going to give them the same result. It's like telling people you nick the front, you nick the front of your barrel choke and you expect the bullets to fly the same. Of the book of the barrel that's not. Of course it cannot. And that's reason the first dynamic band is pretty much guarantee you you're off the bow on the same point, same contact point. 
That's where the first dynamic band was so critical because your final touching part of the arrow to the arrow rest is not even the same if you do not locate the first dynamic band. All the rest not saying anything. So what does the thousands of an inch mean? I say, as I get again, if you're shooting an 8,000 straight intrinsic arrow, if you're launching off the cycle at 8,000 off center, what's the resulting flight? You're 8,000 of an inch off center. So why did people want that? Because back then, equipment like this is not known. The only measure everybody known of is grain weight, because scale weight is easy. Second, whatever arrow you buy, thousand strictness is from the factory. You thought that just like me back then, I will buy the most expensive stuff because if they charge me, it must be better. That whole thinking process, the same time you later go into, if it is heavier, it must be better. Everybody understand heavy do not mean more accurate. Heavy means more forgiving, absolutely. But what does forgiving means to you? Yeah. What are you giving up to get to that point? So let me, let me, uh, I have a couple questions on that. Let me just make sure I'm understanding this 1000%. So when you are spine aligning to the first dynamic bend, that's when straightness doesn't matter as much. But what if you don't spine align it? Then straightness comes more into play. Is that, am I, I'm understanding that correctly? In some way, yes, it does. It, as long as your arrow is not stressed. Okay. That means the less the FOC, the more the strictness will help you. Okay. I think everything else has to be better as far as, you know, the, the tune of the shooter, the tune of the bow, you know, all that becomes in play. You know, a lot of this stuff that we're doing as far as the arrow builds, you know, help dampen what the shooter is doing. At the other, at the other end of it, if you don't have these benefits, everything else has to be that much better, you know, as far as your shootability, your shootability as a shooter, your bow tune, how your, your, your D loop in relation to your uh, 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 resting point, as far as your, your center shots, all that has to be that much better. One of the things I will say is that one of the biggest benefits, because a lot of my customers, I'm sure you both have a lot of customers, who, who buy arrows, um, you know, they're not, they're not professional archers. They're, they're not your Levi Morgans. They're guys that work every day doing something else. And they might shoot, they might shoot their bow on the weekend a little bit here and there uh, throughout the season, or they might not shoot their bow only until maybe two weeks before the season. And what the spine location is helping them out is ease of tune but rather than them trying to nocturne bear shaft tune all that we help take some of that out of the game introduce a spine located arrow so they can put the arrow on target faster and just spend more time shooting the bow versus figuring out what's what's wrong with the bow so instead sure. of the, the average shooter might go out for an afternoon to get to a similar the same point that we're ending up at with a a spine located arrow we saved them that day yep and they're getting that straight out of the box so they had no they're getting time it out of, yeah they're getting it out of the box and when you can produce a solid dozen arrows that are you know you know, two, three inch group capable of 60, 70, 80 yards out of the box. That's significant. Yeah, yeah. Because when you're when you're getting your your box store hours, no matter how good you get them, if they're not spine located, you know, you're talking you may have three, four, six, and the other ones are for squirrels kind of deal. Um you just end up with a crap shoot. And that's where expense rolls in because even if you get a cheaper set of arrows by let's say you pay a hundred bucks for the dozen factory arrows and that's half the price automatically but when you lose half your dozen in accuracy then you paid then you paid a hundred dollars for six arrows yep and you're you're you'll you know 
It's like the guys on the target range. They got their number one arrow, their number two arrow in case this arrow fails. You know, the guys hunting, same thing. They got their number one arrow that they shot, you know, 20 times that they say, I got to shoot the deer with this one because my second best is okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's, you know, that's a big value point when looking at these arrows. Don't look at the surface value of the arrow because when you're buying a box store set of arrows, if you get four to six arrows, you know, added a dozen and you pay a hundred bucks, why not just pay, you know, 200 or 250 for a dozen spine located arrows that you're not going to pull your hair out over that are capable of doing of accuracy, you know, at twice the distance of what those arrows are going to shoot when you look at it as a whole. Sure. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. One, one more question on, the the straightness aspect and the way the arrow is built does it matter or does it not matter or does there no difference if you're talking about straightness and spine aligned with arrow concept versus not with arrow concept well that depends on how good the shooter is because he and how the build is because he just like everything is about balance and balance is not just about weight the one of the most important factor people let people forgot is about skill set I mean, just like when I first introduced Aerovane, I remember my long conversation with Tim Gillingham. He told me there's absolutely zero difference for him to shoot at 300 feet per second between a vein tag with straight vein and Aerovane at 100 yards. I said, it can't be. It take me a while to fully understand when you are like a shooting machine, the less the equipment able to make a difference. I mean, just like if you're a top driver, I give you some a little bit off balance tires. You're gonna feel it, and then you're gonna you're gonna now accommodate it, and you're still gonna win me on a guy who is not good at doing that. The fact is that an average shooter like myself, back then I work all say all year, I got three hunting trips I need to go. If you're talking guys like me back then when I was doing consulting order work, that's what I'm looking for. I'm paying to the point that. When I got the equipment from you, it's good. Mm -hmm. I mean, that will go back to the same thing. The reason I designed Swing Play is that the guy called me and said, I'm a model, I mean, the guy is a model billionaire, seriously, not million, billion. He say, the only thing I don't have is time. I'll pay for anything. But don't make me go and practice and tune bows. I don't have time for it. I mean, I need, I literally, I got bow shops I know in very well in Texas, they would tune bow for customers the best they could. But at the end of the day, this is not a crossbow. This is not a gun. It's a vertical bow. The shooter's holding and the releasing of the bow is a very big part of the equation. And the, let me go back to your answer. The spine location and straightness. Remember, the spine location is based on 12 o'clock position. Am I right? So what happened if the guy who holds the bow always talk the bow? The spine location become less and less important, isn't it? Sure. Because the 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 whole reason for the spine location is for the arrow to flex at the six o'clock position perfectly. But if the guy is talking the bow, the moment you shoot it, the arrow rests to the bow and no longer in the six o'clock position. Let me so give you an example. A guy called me when I back in the nine back in the early, late two thousands. 2007 to eight, I built him a dozen arrow. He told me every arrow hit eight inch to the left. Remember, he said, every arrow you build hit eight inch to the left. I said, it can be. I know he shoot perfectly because he, I back then, I, that's the time I meet Rod White, the Olympic gold medalist. And then we learn the arrow hits the same. And I asked him one question Does every one of the arrow hit exactly the same? He say yes. I say, you are talking the bow and you're not going to change better. You just need to think about how much to the left are you shooting. Yeah. And be and then go and shoot your broadheads. And the worst, the moment you put the broad on it, and of course he insists on a freaking ginormous two blade. Oh my gosh. <laughs> where should I where should I go? Where should I go? <laughs> no, seriously. 
maybe that would bring him back eight inches back to the right. So yeah, it could be an offset the other way for him. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm really, I really <laughs> was trying back then. And it, it was so, so, so difficult. And and so many people just straight out don't understand. We can build you the absolute best arrow, best setup on bows. Just like you know, when another friend of Jake come to me, he was pulling his hair off. He just dropped. He was come to me with, with the with the look that you just like. He's like he was bit, beat. He got a brand new V. I think it's VXL. And his arrow was literally touching the shelf, no, touching the 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 opening shelf. All the way, he's a right hand bow, and the bow is actually the arrow is all the way touching to the right, and he barely able to keep his group at twenty five yards. I mean, it was it was so sad. He said, "Just make me something. Let me shoot this, so that at least I can hit something." <laughs> it was that bad, and I say, "And you're shooting few points right now. Why don't we put a product on it?" And he looked at me with the face just like dropped. <laughs> I mean, seriously, the first thing I did for him is that I take his what inside out, I put an arrow outside on it, I dropped the arrow from about 400, uh, 610 grain. I remember that. I dropped a hundred, I've dropped 200 grain off the front because he was trying to shoot 175 grain field points. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not joking. It's like, what the heck? I say, I want to go to extreme FOC. You say, I'm like, what am FOC getting? And he told me he's close to 22%. On a 29-inch straw on a 300 spine. Wow. Talk about going extreme. I mean, he says the bow is super quiet. I don't doubt. I mean, the, he he's shooting with 210 feet per second. How can it be any noise here? Yeah. It's like I say this is what I if anybody want to take out of this this episode. It's like if you doubt how good your system is, I know it's gonna ruin some equipment, but at least you know where you're getting. Go and put a target up, shoot your broadhead at it. It been put a target close to 45 degree. That's why the deer was walking away. You have no choice but to shoot it. And look at what happened to the arrow. Yeah. I will I'm pretty much will guarantee you, you got a 30%. The arrow will not penetrate more than three inches. You're gonna get a glancing shot. Correct. Yep. That's especially with the guy, even the guys with two blade, that can happen. That's the reason the trawl card had design. Because when you go into those uh, high, high angle, anything over 35 degree, I would consider high angle. You're going to be problem, especially with arrow that's flexing and did not recover. Because if your arrow is not recovered correctly, the, the, the vectors, which is the force of the arrow on the tail end, is going to behave like a leverage to the impact point. You're not going forward. You're going to go sideways. And if you think that we're going to kill a deer, and that's exactly what most of the customer, I remember when I was shooting Rocky Mountain Gators, that was the first problem I recognized. I need to lower the FOC so much that I can shoot the arrow straight. But then with me with quick spin, what the hell I'm thinking? <laughs> I mean, hey, it's not George. a bad combination. I mean, it's not a bad product. It's just a bad execution and combination. And a lot of people really do not understand. Just when you push one area to the extreme, you're guaranteed something is going to go wrong. So in other words, at the end of the day, what we are not trying to sell you is one piece of equipment. It's that you need a balanced piece of entire piece of equipment. The word balance, again, optimized. I mean, if anybody in software, no hurt anything or, or cartooning. The word is always optimized. Oh, I just have the heaviest spring. You know the car can hold. Had the widest tires, the car can drive. I think that's a critical point that you're defining is that, um, you know, a lot of the shooters look for one particular component <clears throat> of the arrow, whether it's the, the broadhead, which is a lot of it's the broadhead, or a, or a special vein type instead of looking at the arrow as one solid function and piece, you know, and just to kind of compare, you know, we look at, we look at a lot of bow sales the same way where, you know, a bow company comes out and they got this newly advanced limb or a new riser 
orders a new cam. It's a particular part um, of it. And I think it's better that the shooter looks at the whole dynamics of the system and says, you know, what do they, what do they want it to do? What benefit does it give you on that specific right. piece of equipment on your setup? Right. I mean, just like this, I mean, the best way, the easiest way to say, if, if you're into cars, I'm going to give you a, a Hemi piston on your Corvette. How much is it going to benefit you, your car? It's not even going to drive. It has to be an entire system. This reason when people come to me, I usually build based on the way they shoot. I mean, just like some customers, they come to me, you need, I say, go ahead and shoot it once. The pip side is not even aligned correctly. The arrow is not flat. What are you going to do? You're going to build him a dozen arrow? What difference does it make? You need to address the fundamental problem of the optimization of the entire piece of equipment, entire set of equipment, not piece, set of equipment. Until you got that recognized, it don't mean anything. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, just like that, that customer who shoots six inch on, to the right, whatever that, whatever that is. I finally just told you, can you make a, since you've got an iPhone, take a small video of you shooting? Yep, the guy, that grip is bold. Well, how am I going to make him a better shooter? Now, how, how what kind of equipment can I give him? And, and you know what the funniest part? He's going to tell me he's going to use my air arrest. I refuse to sell it to him. He said he's going to buy it one way or the other. I say, you're going to hate yourself. And I never heard the guy again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because, I mean, Dave, can you imagine if somebody dead grip his boat with an air arrest? What do you think is going to happen? You can't. That's, I mean, the rest, the air arrest is a phenomenal rest. Absolutely. But it's, it's not for everyone. If you have that strong follow through, you're going to hate the rest. You might be able to survive if you take the top finger off, but odds are you're going to hate it. Now you, you have to hold the bow like you're holding a gun. It's, you got to take literally a different approach for that rest. And, you know, if people heard me mention, I shot groups at under, you know, under three inches over 90 yards, it was with that rest. I don't have any extreme follow through. I try and have the mentality that I built this bow. I, I built the system. Try and let the bow do all the work and less of me into the bow. And I just hold the bow. You know, you're when you, when people put when people put a bow on a hooter shooter, the hooter shooter doesn't crank two feet to the left to torque the bow, does it? No. It just sits there and releases it unless it might let the bow fall gently. But you don't see no wild torque where, you, you know, you're standing next to your buddy shooting archery and you got to look out from getting hit by the bow. You'll <laughs> never like that rest. Yeah. So the, the error rest is a phenomenal rest. But if you have any amount of hand torque um, on there to significant, you basically, you got to learn how to, you know, not the death grip, but you're going to hate that, hate that rest. But if you learn, well, actually, rest, you, you'll, you know, you'll before like we, it. I think we're we, we're going to spend a whole hour on talking about things. I want my customer this time to talk, take away something. You know, you bought enough equipment. Do you understand what you bought? So go and I mean, you know, today's most of the archery shop, unfortunately, I would say most, they all want to behave like a mini basketball shop. They want you to come mm. to them with the with the biggest box. They give that to you. If you walk away with it, you'll make them the happiest shop owner. If you say that, put that together and help me to shoot the best, you actually just tell in their head, in most of the cases, say, shoot, I'm going to put this together on a guy I don't know and spend hours. If it doesn't work, he's going to return it. That pretty much is what most shop that I consider, quote unquote, a pro shop have done. That's the reason. I, I, I mean, just like Dave or Jeremy, and a lot of my top, top, top dealer, like Horse Archery out of Texas. They don't even carry a bowline. They don't carry any equipment. They ask the I'm customer- guilty. I'm guilty, I just started carrying a bowline. Oh, that's okay. I got eight, I got eight, well, I started getting, I got so many guys that asked me, you know, about vertical bow 
stuff and APA had a, a low bow buy-in. I just said, let me get a couple of these because I had guys just constantly ask me about bows. I don't have no strict retention or whatever happens with the bow line. But since then, I've, I've been pushing more vertical bow arrow sales because I got a vertical yeah, bow APA, and it, it worked for my arrow sales. You're talking about one of my old buddies. I mean, he is a good engineering. Yes. I mean, he know what he's doing. That make a big difference. And not to mention the buying is not like freaking for a hoy line. You need to buy 35, 450 bows. That that was a, that's a problem I see happening. You know, I, I've talked to other, you know, other shop dealers in general. And, you know, one of the problems is like, well, boy, you got, you got a bow line that if you don't sell X amount of bows, 10, 20 bows a year, you're dropped. Now that's not small shop friendly, especially when, you know, if you look at, like Maryland's Matthews dealers. You got Matthews dealers that are like six miles apart from each other. What's, what are those shops doing? They're going to compete, you know, with the price of the bow. Whoever's the cheaper guy gets, gets you know, is going to sell the bow. And at that point, you're, you know, you're losing money because you don't got any kind of um, dealer protection. So at least I got something, I believe it's like 50 or 60 mile dealer protection basically i have all south jersey with apa um it's not a highly advertised uh bow line but it's it's you know now that i got it it's starting to get some interest but the main reason for me to get that it's it's increased my vertical bow arrow sales by me having a bow line so if i sell a few bows a year off of that whatever I'm selling the arrow builds and the uh, going to be selling the string bumps and stuff to that bow. I'm, I'm going to upgrade that bow. That's my, that was my whole point to up, upgrade bows, upgrade and arrow sales. Sure. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, fellas, we've been going for a little over an hour here. Um, I think we should continue diving into um, just like the consumer behavior aspect of like why people are choosing what they're choosing. George, you made a call. We never touched on it, but you made a comment when, when we started recording and maybe we'll talk about this next time about um, hunters choosing what they want, not what they need or not knowing what they need. So maybe that'll be the, that will be of, a really interesting topic because he does exactly what happened. Yep. People, uh, I would just, I'll give a preclude for what happened. Just think about what is the equipment that you bought the most when used the least, that will be the best part because he's just like, why would a person spend 250 bucks on a quiver? Yeah. Or why would people spend, say, 500 or $400 on a stabilizer system? What did that do for them? Yep. Yeah, we'll talk about, we'll talk about all that and more on the next episode of the Deer Gear Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. And just for um, conversation's sake, if you're listening to this on YouTube, on Dorja's YouTube channel, drop a comment below on why you are choosing what you're choosing is it price point is it because someone else shoots it is it because you wanted more performance let us know in the comments why you're shooting what you're shooting and until next time we'll talk to you yeah or just email us i mean i love to answer questions because see right now we talk about all the major topics already i think what we need to do is address topics that people are more interested in and we'll do deep dive on it i do mean deep Yep. Right, have good. a good one. Thanks, guys. I'll see you.